It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Coming up on episode number 105 of the Night Talker at 1045, where are we at in society? The newest health movement involves embracing your inner Tarzan. All right. At 1030, we take a broader look around college football. At 10.15, the Dallas Cowboys make an emphatic statement and more from week one in the NFL. And coming up in seconds, the Texas Longhorns leave little doubt about who the better team was in Tuscaloosa over the weekend. I am your host, Trey Elling. You can give me a follow on Twitter at Courtesy Wave. And please do the same for ESPN Austin at 1027 ESPN. It was about a year in the making for the Texas Longhorns and their fan base. Most everybody associated with the program had the second weekend in September. The second weekend of college football circled as an opportunity to redeem what was a difficult, albeit silver lining loss to Alabama here in Austin last year. That game finished. 20-19, Bama wins on a last, I forget if it was a pure last second field goal, at least a last minute field goal, and it sucked. But by the same token, you felt good as a Longhorn fan because you're starting quarterback Quinn Ewers, just starting his second game as a collegiate, looked really good before getting knocked out by an injury, and it felt like your team did enough to win that game. After all, you were in it until the end. You led right up until the very end. And not only did it look like this roster would continue improving and continuing getting healthier and adding depth at pretty much every position across the board, it seemed like week two of the 2023 college football season would be a good opportunity to gauge just where you were as a program. Where Steve Sarkeesian had things in year three here in Austin. All offseason. Sark. And then eventually his players were speaking confidently, speaking optimistically about what 2023 may contain. And a lot of that had to do, according to Sark, with a roster that was as good as he's maybe had since becoming a head coach at the college level, starting with Washington so many years ago, then moving on to USC. And on top of that, it did seem like, although they did lose some key guys from last year's team, namely Bijan Robinson, Roshan Johnson, and Marvion Overshone, you were getting a more complete buy-in, and the roster overall still returned a lot of guys, and in a lot of ways was better than last year. Certainly a lot of that has to do with the offensive line continuing to tape steps forward, which you thought would be happening in the throes of the offseason. A defensive line that looked as SEC-ready as any position group on the field, an improved group of wide receivers and pass catchers, too, if you throw in the tight ends, specifically Jatavian Sanders, one of the best in the country at his position, and a running back room that was above adequate, even though you didn't really have guys who were nearly as tested or, let's be honest, as talented as B. John Robinson and then Roshan Johnson to a lesser degree, not just what he does on the field, but also that leadership too. And then seeing guys like Quinn Ewers make that sacrifice 
and it really sticking, not through bowl season, where Quinn shows up looking like a completely different guy and played like one too, but also that remaining the case through the offseason, spring ball, summer workouts, and into fall camp and game one of the season. And so all that set up for a game that really all eyes across college football were paying attention to on Saturday night. Six o'clock kickoff on ESPN in Tuscaloosa. There was a large Longhorn contingent there. I don't know the exact numbers. I assumed it would be somewhere around 10,000. Could have been closer to the 20,000 number that others were predicting. And they were loud when they were allowed to be loud, which was for a lot of the game. In the end, the Texas Longhorns do what very few have in the Nick Saban era at Alabama. And actually none have, if we're thinking about the margin of victory. But they beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa, winning the game by double digits, which literally has not happened at Alabama since Nick Saban took over. Has not lost a game at home by double digits. And the Texas Longhorns now find themselves sitting oh so pretty after a 34-24 win over then third-ranked Alabama. Now since then, you've seen the polls and some movements. Coach's poll has Texas at 6. I don't remember where Alabama is now. But the AP poll, Alabama drops to 10. Texas moves all the way up to number Four, and it is well earned. And although you can nitpick moments where individuals either slipped or Alabama made some plays happen, overall you have to take a huge tip of the cap to the overall team effort, both sides of the ball. And I think we have to start in the trenches because although perhaps it can be seen or heard as cliche to say games are won or lost in the trenches, there's still a lot of validity to that, which is why it's not a total cliche. It still has meaning. And Texas 100% won this game in the trenches. First and foremost, Quinn Ewers will receive a ton of credit for this, has received a ton of credit, will continue to do so, and it is earned. Don't get me wrong. But this offensive line stepped up in ways that a lot of people weren't sure if they could after that week one victory over Rice. Because even though they did win that game going away, there was a lot to be desired. Some of the younger guys, highly rated, highly recruited guys who are now playing starters minutes for the very first time didn't look all that good. And Steve Sarkeesian insisted after the game... Within his media availabilities last week, heading into the Bama game, that these were fixable mistakes. And sure enough, that turned out to be right. It was tough sledding for the Longhorns running backs and picking up rushing yardage. And that's no fault of the offensive line. Bama is good against the run. That is the case year in and year out. But where they really excelled, was protecting Quinn Ewers and giving him time to find receivers down the field. And it wasn't always that first read either. So kudos to them. They don't allow a sack. First time Bama hasn't sacked the quarterback, I think, since the 2018 National Championship game against Clemson. 
And Quinn Ewers, he stayed upright. He was barely even pressured throughout the course of the night, which is why you saw Quinn go ballistic statistically. Quinn Ewers finishes with nearly 350 yards passing. Three touchdowns, zero interceptions. He's got a nice string of passes attempted without an interception right now, by the way. Let's keep our fingers crossed that that one can continue. He goes to Xavier Worthy early and often in the first half. Bama chooses to focus more on Xavier Worthy in the second half, which frees up guys like Jatavian Sanders. What a game from him, by the way. I'm starting to wonder if he is the best tight end in college football, maybe even surpassing Brock Bowers. Big statement, I understand, but Jatavian Sanders is as clutch as it comes, it seems like. A.D. Mitchell, yeah, technically has three catches on the game for 78 yards, but it seems like all that guy does is catch touchdown passes. Two more to add to his season total. And Jordan Whittington, the numbers weren't great, not completely pedestrian, three for 44, but he also played a great game and was instrumental in blocking at times, and I think he is helping to provide that leadership role that was vacated by Roshan Johnson this offseason. Gosh, we're already up on the commercial break here, so we are going to continue the Longhorn conversation on the other side and really throughout the course of today's show. Up next, not only will we continue taking a look at what Texas did well on offense and then, of course, defensively too, but we will also get into some of NFL Week 1, including, my goodness, those Dallas Cowboys taking it to the New York football giants on Sunday Night Football. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back here on the Night Talker. We will get into NFL Week 1 here in a bit, but I did want to continue my breakdown of the Texas Longhorns 34-24 victory over the Alabama Crimson Tide on Saturday night. Last segment, we talked about the offensive line. Quinn Ewers and his stats, those wide receivers. By the way, Quinn Ewers has taken a lot of crap for his inability to connect with his receivers downfield. And by the way, that's been warranted too. ESPN showed the stat early in Saturday night's game that when you go back to last season and look at quarterbacks, attempting and completing passes, what was it, 30 plus yards downfield, how he was literally one of the worst in the country going all the way back to last year. Ironically, they show that stat. It's not ironic that they show it right after another downfield incompletion, although I do feel like A.D. Mitchell didn't run the right route there. They show that stat. I think the very next play, you get a wide receiver reverse pass where Worthy throws it downfield to Mitchell once again. That's a pass interference. Otherwise, it would have been a long catch. And then I think either the next play or two, Quinn Ewers finds Xavier Worthy over the top for the Longhorns' first touchdown of the game. Which was big for a lot of reasons. One, it's your first touchdown of the game. But two, it was Quinn Ewers showing that he does have the ability to do that. And we have continued to read and hear from the insider sites that we're not sure what the deal is. Quinn Ewers is connecting with his receivers downfield in practice. It just has not translated in the games consistently yet for whatever reason, but we expect it to happen to it sometime. 
I guess you have to give credit to Steve Sarkeesian here for refusing to give up on this play. It is an integral part of his offense and his game plans to keep the opposition on their heels with them having to respect the deep threat. And so when Quinn hits Xavier Worthy for that first touchdown up the left side, I mean, he threw that ball to the moon in terms of the height, which is probably necessary because he has such good arm strength that he was trying to throw these downfield balls on a rope. And unfortunately, when you do that, you don't give your receiver a ton of wiggle room to try and adjust to the football. So on this Xavier Worthy completion, it did seem like that ball touched the sky, touched the moon in Tuscaloosa, but it lands perfectly to where Xavier Worthy makes an athletic play in stride, lands, holds onto the football, and kind of kicks that Alabama defensive back off of him as he's getting up to celebrate. And it was a sign of things to come for Quinn Ewers and his ability to complete passes downfield. He has one other touchdown that goes over 30 yards. That was to A.D. Mitchell in the second half. And he continued to find guys all over the place. Short, the intermediate routes were working for him. Think about that long J.T. Sanders catch and run where Sanders was probably 15 to 20 yards downfield, had gone over the middle of the field, and Quinn connects with him closer to the left sideline. Breaks it back upfield. I thought he might have been able to get into the end zone, but he decided to cut it up to get the last remaining yardage with the Bammer defensive backs right there. I certainly don't fault him for that. And then Texas ends up scoring a touchdown not too long after that. By the way, that was a huge moment in the game. If you think back to the third quarter where... Alabama wasn't playing great in the first half. And credit goes to both defenses, by the way. I think Texas missed some plays. There was an Xavier Worthy drop. There was a Jonathan Brooks drop. That would have been surefire touchdowns. But the Bama defense was physical early on. And that's why you saw a tight, low-scoring game at halftime. Texas leads 13-6 to going into halftime. But Alabama, they had a chance to score a touchdown just before halftime, and that Texas defense tightened up and held them to a field goal. So kudos to them on that one. But Alabama hadn't played that well up to the point where they actually took the lead. And if you're a Texas fan, and I remember thinking this and texting this to somebody, that I wasn't crazy that Alabama was playing so poorly and Texas didn't have a larger lead at the time. And then sure enough, soon after... I say this out loud, or text this out loud, I guess. Bama takes the lead with that long touchdown up the left side. One of Milrow's best throws of the night. They get Jaron Thompson, the safety, turned around just a little bit. And Alabama, they have athleticism at wide receiver, even if these guys still have a ways to go improving themselves and just showing that they are anywhere close to that Jalen Waddell, Devontae Smith, Henry Ruggs level of playmaker. And it was just a nice route by the Bama receiver. Thompson probably needed to backpedal another step or two before committing to that inside turn. But ultimately, it was a nice play by Bama. You give them a tip of the cap. But that's the first time they get the lead in the game. And so as a Texas fan who has heard your coach talking about this team's need to become resilient, to earn a sort of grit that allows you to take a team's best shot and then give your best shot back in return. That was a pivotal moment in this game. 
And how did Texas respond? They responded in a way that we really haven't seen both sides of the ball respond for a long time now. Like, maybe you can make the argument that going back to that Sugar Bowl season from a few years ago, that Sam Ellinger-led team, they may have had some moments like this. And I guess that Sugar Bowl would have been a good example of that. But talking about regular season, I don't recall the last time that I felt so good about both sides of the ball and how they responded to adversity. But after Bama takes the lead, it takes the Longhorns three plays, including that long Jatavian Sanders catch and run to score a touchdown to regain the lead. In the very next defensive play, after allowing that go-ahead touchdown, is an interception. Now, it wasn't a great read by Jalen Milrow, but credit to who else? Jaron Thompson, the guy who was burned on that touchdown, for stepping up and getting the interception and returning it, I want to say, inside the Alabama 20. So not just getting a turnover, but flipping the field like that and giving the Longhorns another Easy opportunity to put more points on the board. And sure enough, they did. They scored a touchdown pretty quickly after that. And even though the game wasn't completely over with from there because Bama scored a touchdown shortly after that to get it back to a single score, the Longhorns continued to take care of business the rest of the way. And I think they were able to play with that level of confidence because they saw that they do possess that grit. They do have that resilience that allows them to weather the hard times. Talked about the offensive line last segment. And the defensive line, it's less surprising because you know that the defensive line for this football team is likely the most talented and deepest unit on either side of the ball. You can make an argument for the wide receiver room, and they're good, don't get me wrong, but I think in terms of depth, the Texas defensive line gets the overall nod. And there were so many guys who flashed and made plays, even guys who didn't necessarily have huge numbers in the final box score. Devondre Sweat was a block eater all night long. Alfred Collins had some nice moments. Byron Murphy was very active. Vernon Broughton had a few moments here and there. But how about Ethan freaking Burke? My goodness. And I have to give credit to Ethan because I was openly questioning him last week as to whether this was going to be a game where a guy like that ends up getting exposed. Because although he's done everything right in the offseason, continue to put on that positive weight, had a decent game against Rice. When you look at him, he still looks like a guy who's a year away weight-wise. Looks like he's got it in the upper body and that lower body strength will hopefully follow this offseason. But he is a dude that plays with a motor that won't quit, has a high football IQ, and he's also just flat out a tough dude. And sure enough, all the hard work that Ethan Burke has put in, it paid off in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night. He finishes with two sacks. Did a great job of setting the edge all night long and was a disruptive force for all four quarters. And speaking of disruptive forces, a guy who oftentimes will be subbing in for Ethan Burke, Anthony Hill, insanely talented true freshman out of the Dallas area, former five-star recruit, 
early enrollee that people who saw him play said he is a damn man in a young college kid's body. And even though there's a little bit of a learning curve for him to play linebacker each and every down, it's only a matter of time. And he's too talented in certain aspects of his game that we're not going to be able to keep him off the field. And sure enough, what do we see on Saturday? Anthony Hill, who at times is asked to spy Jalen Milrow, a number of dudes had that responsibility. Great job for Pete Kwiatkowski for mixing that up. He did a good job of that, including at times where he started to get lost in the offensive line wash when he gets sucked into the middle and Milrow breaks to the outside. Anthony Hill is so quick and athletic that he was able to catch up to him and minimize the damage there. But then also on some obvious passing downs, Anthony Hill shoots through the line of scrimmage like an absolute rocket and has Jalen Milrow dead to rights. It happened two times on Saturday. The second time, I won't say it sealed the game for Texas, but pretty darn close because Texas took the ball with about seven, seven and a half minutes after that. The Texas offense, they didn't give it back to Alabama going forward. Anthony Hill had that very final sack that forced Alabama to punt. There wasn't even a decision as to whether they would go for it on fourth down, even though they probably needed to at that point in time. Exciting times ahead for this Longhorn football team and Anthony Hill this season and moving forward. All right, coming up next, we will continue the Texas Longhorn football conversation and look around the national scene. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Back with a Monday edition of the Night Talker. We are breaking down the Longhorns' win over Alabama this Saturday night, 34-24. Huge win for this program. Literally one of the biggest regular season wins in the history of this program. Yeah, believe it or not, Texas has not gone on the road and beat many top three opponents, much less as handily as they did, but that happened last night. Certainly the biggest road win for Texas out of conference or otherwise, I think, since the Longhorns went to Columbus and beat Ohio State in 2005, the national championship year. That was an emphatic statement for Vince Young and company then, which I believe was two games into the season as well. Same thing for Steve Sarkeesian, Quinn Ewers, and the rest of the group associated with this Longhorn football program. And so the question now becomes, what can you make of this? Because far too often in the past, the recent past, and by recent, (laughs) I think I mean the last, I don't know, 14 years. This is a program filled with individuals who have let the tiniest bit of success go to their heads. I hate to admit it. But I also believe in trying to present you people with the God's honest truth on things. And unfortunately, Texas has been way too guilty in the last 14 years of going Aggie with the tiniest bit of success. My hope, because fans are still going to continue celebrating this win today, tomorrow, probably throughout the rest of this week, 
is that the team themselves understand while this was a fun special moment that you'll get to cherish for the rest of your lives, it is a very small component of what you want to do in 2023. This is a team that not only has conference championship hopes, but college football playoff hopes too. In a win over Tuscaloosa, or win over Alabama, excuse me, in Tuscaloosa, it gives you a little bit more wiggle room and takes some pressure off what you have to accomplish the rest of the year. Quite possibly, most likely, it gives you the wiggle room of suffering a loss at some point. But the hope of your Texas is that you now have full confidence and understanding of what you are capable of. And so much like with the concept that you lift heavy so that life is a little bit lighter, you just lifted heavy or played heavy your second game of the year. So every other opponent, which there will be some other tough opponents on the schedule, no question. Not as worried about that Baylor game in Waco here in a little bit less than two weeks, but that's the start of conference play. That game's at night. The home crowd at Baylor can get raucous at times, especially when they're playing the Longhorns, and certainly that last time. But because you lifted slash played heavy in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night, everything else feels a little bit lighter. Plenty of other potential pitfalls on the schedule. The three-game stretch from at Baylor to Kansas at home, and don't sleep on Kansas, by the way, they are extremely talented offensively. Maybe a top five, but certainly a top 10 offense in the country. So that game could turn into a bit of a shootout. And then Oklahoma the week after that. And while I'm still not buying the Oklahoma Sooners, they are 2-0 and didn't have trouble with either of their opponents so far. And as we all know from watching that game year after year, the best team doesn't always win. As is the case of rivalries in general. But we have... Good and bad examples of that as Longhorn fans. So you know that will be a big fight this year because Oklahoma is trying to avenge last year's embarrassment. One of the worst performances they've ever had in that game. But Texas understands what it's capable of now. And as long as they don't let this tiny bit of success go to their head, as long as they don't start drinking the rat poison as Steve Sarkeesian has said, and start believing too much of the hype. And by the way, there's a lot of hype now. Already tired of the Texas's back nonsense. But they're an AP top four team. So people now believe that did not necessarily believe a week ago. That's nice, but it also means nothing. It means nothing if you cannot take care of business. If you cannot focus, which this team should be focused on Wyoming right now, and do that each and every week, regardless of the outcome, but especially if that outcome is a win. If you can do that, you have a chance to play your way into that college football playoff. Maybe with the exception of Florida State, although I would argue that where Alabama was ranked at the time and where that game was played, you have the biggest win of the college football season right now. And somebody else is going to have to outplay their highly ranked opponent at that highly ranked opponent's home stadium in order to change that. So just understand what you now have working to your advantage and act accordingly. 
at Baylor, Kansas at home, Oklahoma and Dallas. Looking up right now, that Texas Longhorn schedule for this season, just to see some of the other games that, or some of the other stretches rather, that could trip them up. Because Texas is off the weekend after Oklahoma. So you get a breather. That's a good time to catch a breather this year. At Houston after that, look, I know it's at Houston. Never sleep on the Big 12 Phil Collinses, a.k.a. Dana Holgerson. BYU here in Austin after that, we know we need to stay focused for that game. BYU had Texas number a decade plus ago. Thankfully, Taysom Hill not quarterbacking BYU. And then you have Kansas State. Now, thankfully, that game is at home that first weekend in November, but that's probably the toughest game left on your schedule. But that is also a month and a half away. So a lot of football to be played between then and now. At TCU, who knows what TCU is going to look like at that point of the season. At Iowa State, not worried about that one at all. And then Texas Tech at home to finish the regular season on November 24th, which is a Friday. And if you do enough, you will be playing at Jerry World on Saturday, December 2nd for that Big 12 championship game, 11 o'clock kickoff on ABC. I believed that this Texas football team would make it to the Big 12 championship game this year and had a good chance of winning it. And I thought at the very least that they would have an opportunity to play in a New Year's Six Bowl, which obviously if you win that game, you do. And I'm trying not to be too prisoner of the moment here, people. I'd like to think that I've established my credibility over time to where you can hear me say something like this and understand that it is an informed opinion. This is a Texas football team that right now I believe will be playing in the college football playoff. Print it, record it, mark it however you must so that you can throw it back in my face if and when it doesn't happen because I'm being too guilty of drinking the burnt orange Kool-Aid right now. But I've seen that this team has what it takes to make that happen. They have the talent. They have the skill on the lines of scrimmage at the skill positions on offense and defense, and they have the proper leadership too. And oh, by the way, they have a quarterback who plays his best ball when the lights are brightest. It's not just talking about in Tuscaloosa on Saturday night, by the way. Think back to last season. What were Quinn Ewer's best games? His best games were the first half of Alabama until he got hurt, the Texas OU game, and then the bowl game at the end of the year. And yeah, it's just the Alamo Bowl. We're tired of going to the Alamo Bowl. I get it. But it was also... One of the more intriguing bowl matchups of bowl season last year. Remember, that was a Washington team that I want to say was ranked around 12th or 13th. And they were really good too. Washington won that game. They returned a lot of last year's team this year. And they look like a top 10 squad once again. By the way, the Pac freaking 12. Holy cow. Talk about a goodbye tour. See if they can keep that one up. And some sort of college football bizarro world where the SEC is all of a sudden down. It's like Georgia, who they themselves have some question marks, and everybody else is seriously flawed. But I feel like that's part of this season on the whole. There is not that one most dominant team. You can make an argument for Michigan, obviously, Ohio State to a slightly lesser degree. Very curious at what Penn State does going forward now, too. 
They're looking pretty legit through a couple of weeks. There's nobody in the ACC that really scares you outside of Florida State. And Florida State has an interesting test in a couple of weeks when I believe they travel to Death Valley to take on that beleaguered Clemson squad. And then you have a bunch of candidates out West, and perhaps it turns into a situation where the Pac-12 eats its own. I still believe that USC is the cream of that crop, and they will ultimately snag a college football playoff spot. They are really good on offense, maybe as good as anyone. But that defense is a colossal question mark too. I feel like the Longhorns, maybe with the exception of Michigan, are the most complete package right now. And that's why I can confidently say that they have a great shot at making it to the college football playoff. And if they make it there, barring some sort of catastrophic injury, if things remain relatively on track, they have as good of a chance as anyone to win it all. And my goodness, what a phenomenal turn of events that would be for Steve Sarkeesian in year three, even to make the college football playoff. But to accomplish something even greater. That's where we are right now. I don't like saying these things out loud because immediately people will tell me to shut up and to stop trying to jinx the whole thing. But I'm just one person who is tasked with giving his opinion on sports and other things with a heavy emphasis on football and an even heavier emphasis because this is the team that I love more than the others on the Texas Longhorns football team. So there you have it. Coming up, it's one final segment. Where are we at in society? Apparently, channeling your inner Tarzan is the latest health trend. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. It's the Night Talker with Trey Elling. Final segment of tonight's show means it's time for... Where are we at in society today? That's right, it is your regular look at stories that show we as a people are headed in the wrong direction. Very occasionally, I will bring you a story that provides a sense of optimism that has us all saying to ourselves, hey, maybe we as a people are getting something right, but sadly, tonight is not that night. And we start in the world of health and fitness today. I am... Somebody who tries to be fit and healthy, but I also understand that this is a world where you get a lot of ridiculousness. Lots of claims being made that are scientifically unfounded, but hey, as long as somebody isn't doing wrong by others with the life that they want to lead for themselves, have at it. So let's see where this most recent health trend finds us. An increasing number of people are finding the antidote to miserable modern living is going back several rungs on the evolutionary ladder to try and live like a chimpanzee. A new fitness trend is dubbed the Tarzan movement. And it sees those who are abiding by the Tarzan movement as occasionally walking on all fours, climbing trees, mimicking chimp hoots, and generally embracing one's inner gorilla. The movement was founded by a guy named Victor Manuel 
Fleatus. And he says, quote, being in nature is a kind of healing. I don't disagree with him on that. But I don't know about walking on fours. Now, Victor strives to spread his peculiar brand of health and wellness cosplay by teaching classes for around 12 bucks a piece about climbing and movement throughout the forests of Europe and beyond. He encourages his followers to ape the movements of the monkeys. His followers have gone bananas, thank you New York Post, over these Tarzan tips. From Charlie Holt, who is a proponent of the Tarzan movement. As a society, we're in a crisis of meaning. We're disconnected from the people around us. I feel in day-to-day, 9-to-5 society, we also lack mystery because everything can be answered at the click of a button. For Holt, being outdoors, mimicking the movements of apes, has helped bring about a sense of fulfillment and calm. Now... The founder of this movement, Victor Manuel Flietes, got his first taste of this outdoor craze growing up in Cuba, where he would often flee his family home to go frolicking about in the forest, playing with animals and building literal jungle gyms out of trees. He says he's always been a rebel and always felt a bit, quote, disconnected to the mainstream and was not able to adapt to society, I'll say. He sees the so-called regression of man somewhat paradoxically as the antidote to modern society, which he believes has developed into a cesspool of breakneck capitalism and cubicles. So, eventually, he decided to try and turn his pastime into a full-blown movement. And what started as a couple of people following Victor has turned into... The Tarzan movement, with proponents everywhere from Finland to the U.S. Adherents espouse the guerrilla gospel and tutorials, which is somewhat of a cross between cult leader Jim Jones and, yes, George of the Jungle. Victor frequently uploads videos documenting his workshops and other primate parroting pursuits to his 180,000 followers on Instagram. See, here's the great irony. We're lamenting the stresses of modern society, which most certainly includes these mini supercomputers in our pockets and these social media with which we waste so much time. But in a sense, you're also capitalizing on people's likelihood for being on these things and helping to grow your own movement. In one of Victor's most popular clips, he can be seen nimbly clambering and leaping through the trees while explaining the philosophy and proper technique behind ape-worthy arboreal ascension. Quote, the moment you put your feet around a round branch, it makes sense, you know? If I go on the tree, I start to try and explore it, slowly, gentle. It's just like making a new friend. No. I don't think so, Victor. I think it's climbing a tree. Now, you can learn the ins and outs of this tree that you're climbing, 
But if you think it's your friend, well, I guess we've already established that you may have some mental health issues. Victor explained in the caption for this video that climbing trees is not just a pastime, but rather a gateway to our tree climbing roots as simians. <laughs> Another clip shows Flietas and his friend engaging in what is essentially forest parkour. Quote, there's nothing more to train. Now we have to deliver. Let's die, they declare before swinging away into the trees. In other footage, these primatological LARPers can be seen swinging their arms like gorillas, emitting chimp chirps and running on all fours like something out of a recent Planet of the Ape movie. These people are batty. Let's just call it what it is. I understand escaping into nature. You want to climb trees, climb trees. But the trees are your friends, really? You've got an Instagram account, by the way, too. How much of this is a character that you've created versus who and what you actually are? Flietas even admits that it's not realistic to go ape 24-7. He does advise people to periodically practice, quote, four-leg crawling as it'll make easier to navigate the forest canopy when you decide to go into the forest. So who are some of the people that are a part of the Tarzan movement now? Well, how about California preschool teacher Emma LaBarbera? She's 25. Makes sense that she's a preschool teacher, I think. She first discovered this Tarzan movement, where else, on Instagram... And says the techniques helped her combat her post-traumatic stress disorder. She said that the practices allowed her to, quote, release the constraints I held surrounding acceptance and judgment from others. I hike barefoot and crawl on narrow surfaces. It's all about meeting my fear and being with it rather than bypassing it or submitting to it. Flietes. Back to Flietes, he sums up the Tarzan movement in one of his Instagram videos, explaining, quote, We come from the ape family. I think it's time to recognize that animal side. Let's transition from this crazy city lifestyle into something simple. Live like Tarzan. Are you sure you should be saying that while recording into a phone that didn't exist 20 years ago? And pushing out to your 180 plus thousand Instagram followers? Is that not going to be a little bit see-through to those who lay their eyes on you? And again, yeah, go out into nature. That's really good for you, folks. Unplug if you can. If you can take a week away from your technology, I realize it feels like an impossibility right now. Do that. Or at least take a day off, I don't know, once every couple of weeks. Can you do that? I think you can. I realize it's hard. I understand, oh, you are going to be reaching for that phone. If you've had your partner, significant other, your husband, your wife, put it away and keep it out of reach and not let you know where it is, you may go a little bit stir crazy at first, but I think you will also appreciate it at the end of the day or at the end of that period of time. Now, there is a huge difference between unplugging for an hour or even a week and then going and exploring a random forest like you are a chimp. That is a way that you get yourself seriously injured. 
Unfortunately for Flietes, or I guess fortunately for him, he has not experienced some sort of horrific tragedy just yet. But if you keep climbing trees in random forest, it's only a matter of time. You just hope that it's not like what happened with the guy, Grizzly Man, that Werner Herzog documented in his film, which I believe was by the same name, where his death was literally caught on video, where a bear ate him and his partner alive. Actually, I don't know if that was caught on video. It was definitely caught on audio. But if this guy is filming himself running around the woods, climbing trees, making friends with the trees, and probably trying to make friends with, I don't know, the creatures of the forest... At what point do you encounter a cougar or a mountain lion or some other creature that doesn't get a damn about your attempts to channel your inner chimp? They just see you as that potential next meal. All right, that is it for another edition of The Night Talker. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. We'll be back tomorrow at 10. I assure you we'll talk more general college football and get into week one of the NFL then. In the meantime, have yourselves a fantastic rest of the night. Talk to you tomorrow at 10. And sweet dreams. It's the Night Talker with Trey Ellings.